Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. This morning, uh, we're in for a treat. My dear friend, uh, Tony Scorsi, is here with us this morning. He's going to open God's Word up with us today. Um, we're going to dig into the Psalms together, and we're going to hear God's Word for us. So, Tony, you want to come up and just pray together. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for the, for the gift of your Word. God, if you are not silent, you are not withdrawn, that you are not distant from us, God, but that you continue to pursue us and love us, continue to speak to us and draw us near to yourself. So, God, we pray this morning for Tony, pray for your word, the proclamation, God, that you would soften our hearts, prepare us, Lord, to hear from you, be transformed and change in your likeness. God, we ask that you would just bless Tony. In your name we pray. Amen. Good to, uh, good to be here. Uh, I've known uh, Dan and John for quite a while. I live in Crop Point, so I, I kind of call Crop Point like my second church family. Uh, and uh, when I'm not busy uh, being a part of what we're doing, we have a free Sunday morning. A lot of times we're just on the Crop Point. We've got to know a few people over there. And obviously, through that, introduced to the entire Lightweight Network. And, Getting to know uh, John and Michelle and, and uh, some other folks from, uh, from the network. We even knew a few people coming in here and with hugs and smiles and, and stuff. So uh, I really, really enjoyed over the past few years just, just meeting everybody from these, uh, these families of, of churches. Um, and it's a joy uh, to be here this morning. Just a little bit about me. Uh, I've been pastoring for 13 years. Um, 10 of those years have been in uh, more. Um, Sunday-centric, building-centric, uh, kind of traditional uh, expressions, uh, and in just the last few years, I stepped away from that um, to be a part of a church family and to start a church family that existed for those who don't belong, who are uninterested in the church. Uh, and uh, so for us, we uh, started as one, uh, one church family of seven families, four communities, 17 families of people growing primarily for those who are uninterested in the church outside of main expressions. Really have no desire whatsoever to like, take people to other churches uh, in China. We're not interested in shuffling the same 52 card deck. We really want to connect with those who are interested in the church. Uh, whatever reason we now want to walk through the doors of uh, a church. And by God's grace, totally by God's grace, um, and we saw our, our first baptism in, in the young story of our church family. Like that, it's been, it's been a joy to be a part of that. In addition to that, um, a, I work with a, a network called the Table Network uh, nationally, and I head up efforts in the Midwest, just coaching leaders to do what we're doing. Uh, what does it look like to, to really kind of center our church family around the mission uh, of just making disciples? Uh, living simply, slowing down, opening your home, practicing hospitality, uh, living in relationship with people outside of faith. Sharing your story and sharing good news in simple, um, simple ways that meet them where, where they are. And so we coach leaders and church plant established churches uh, to want to just jumpstart the disciple making culture uh, in your church. And I've actually been working with 
really loved and cared for mostly by John's mom who like just kept putting pie in front of me as I was there and coffee and um yeah just you know yeah just blessing me that way and um and we're even in a few days going to see a, a small group of of uh, of leaders from from this church family I just get around the table for a few weeks in a row and just consider what it might look like to just carry good news to their friends that are uninterested in the church so I'm really looking forward um to that um Psalm 103. If you have a Bible, a phone with an app, Bible app, get there. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. Chide is like scold or rebuke or an expression of anger. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, I jumped into official uh, like church ministry in 2006. From 2010 to 2012, I did a short stint at a church uh, locally. And um, it, uh, I kind of went there thinking it was going to be one thing and found out it was something different. Um, in fact, it was a pretty dark period of time in, in my life. Um, the leadership there was um, very performance-based. Um, the culture there was, was pretty toxic. And um, man, it ended up getting um, like pretty wounded in all that. God was faithful in that, taught me a number of things, as he is, right, in the midst of dark situations and, and difficult moments. Like, he's so good to take what's intended for evil and to mean it for good. That's just our good God. And so I was taught a ton of good lessons and, and learned a bunch. I look back at that season, though, very difficult and hard, and it was really transformational in, in my life. But at the time, I didn't really have, like, the perspective I just shared with you, okay? So <laughs> I was... I was, I was pretty wounded. I was pretty hurt. Um, I was jaded. I was cynical. 
Um, I didn't want anything to do with the church anymore. I didn't want to, I said things like, I don't ever want to be on staff at a church ever again. Um, and I was just in a really, really dark period, right? The dark night of the soul, so to speak. Uh, that's not a reference to a Batman film. Um, that's some old dead dude said that one time, just referring to a really hard time in your life. Um, and um, I just remember just responding in ways that were just really foolish and sinful, and I was just hurt. And I remember in that, um, I, I always hung on to the, the truth of who God is, right? I knew like intellectually who God is, and I knew that he was good and gracious, and I knew I should be like worshiping him and loving him and, and all these things, but just my heart was just not there. It just wasn't. And anything, I couldn't force it to be there. Other people would try to encourage me. My wife would try to encourage me. There was just nothing going on there. And I remember just flipping through social media, and um, a friend of mine who I respect posted um, a book by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones called Spiritual Depression. This dude knows what's up, fifth row, over on the right. <clears throat> He's like, that's my jam. <laughs> and uh, spiritual depression, and I was just like, I, I, think, I think I have spiritual depression. So I ordered that book, and that book was, it was a game changer for me. And one of the points that D. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes in his book, Spiritual Depression, is that sometimes when we're depressed, this has nothing to do with like the effects of our sin, just sometimes depression, just down, the downcast of the soul, seasons of that just come. And he says, one of the things that you need to do is you need to grab yourself by the hand and you need to preach the truth to yourself. You need to preach good news to yourself. And so if you're like me this morning, you might be in a place where like you know the truth, you know what you should be doing, you know where you should be, and all those things. And there's no amount, right, of just energy and pulling yourself by your bootstraps that you can do to just get yourself out of this funk, right? Then maybe Psalm 103 might be an encouragement to you because guess how David starts this psalm? He starts by doing exactly what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones encouraged me to do. He starts preaching the truth to himself. Look at how he's, what he's doing here in the first few verses. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You'll see that phrase, O my soul. A lot of times psalms are written to maybe just the, the whole community of God, right? All of Israel, all of God's people are addressed like to a broad audience. But you know what Psalm 103, you know who that's addressed to? It's a psalm written by David to David. He's preaching to himself. He's grabbing himself by the hand. And he's bringing himself back to the truth of who God is to jumpstart love, adoration, worship, and joy in the heart. Okay? So this psalm is for your encouragement and for my encouragement. And in David's depression and how he ministers to himself and how he's preaching the gospel to himself, may we be encouraged this morning. But he starts off, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's preaching to his own heart. Bless worship, jumpstart, have joy, be happy. Blessedness is like, blesses this idea of like true happiness, right? Man, heart, heart, soul, be happy in the Lord. Because David knows that really like the Christian, right, religion, right, this thing that we're a part of, it's not just a matter of just having our right doctrine or, or doing right behaviors. It's a matter of the soul. It's a matter of the heart, like loving God from the deepest, most intimate kind of spot of who we are, like our hearts, right? And this is like Jesus' rebuke, right, of a people who said, your lips, right? Like you praise and worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. 
Who cares what you say with your mouth? Who cares what you do with your hands? If your heart is far from him, it doesn't matter, right? So everything we do is flows from the heart, jump-started by the, by the spirit, by the gospel. And this is, what, this is what David wants. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And here's how he's going to go about doing this. Forget not all his benefits. At the, at the, at the, I think the bedrock of a heart that is jaded, cynical, and is not happy in the Lord is spiritual amnesia forgetfulness, right? Forgetting who he is and what he's done. And so David's going to remind himself of who God is, his character, his works, his person, right? In an effort to jumpstart the heart. First thing on the list, forgiveness of sins. There is a myriad of things that God has done for us, in us, through us, in this world, and in our lives. Amen? But chief on that list, tops, like number 1A, is forgiveness of sins. That there literally is something in us, and there's something about him, namely our brokenness and his holiness, that keeps us, right? There's a, there's a barrier there from us having a relationship with him, for us being united with him, for, for, us, for us really truly entering into this, this love, right, in this relationship, it's primarily our sin. Look what he says here. He says, forget, right, not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, all of it, all of it, not just sins of the past. I fell into this as a new believer thinking that, man, God's grace was for the things I had previously done. And then I thought the Christian life was just an effort of just kind of like keeping God happy with me, Right? And then I kind of fell into this tit for tat, like, oh man, I screwed up. God must be displeased. Man, I did something good. Now God's happy with me, thinking that somehow that my performance and my works like tip the meter of God's love in my life. We come to find out that no one God forgives, he forgives entirely, completely, wholly, fully. No conditions, no strings attached. The only free lunch this world has ever seen or eaten or received, Right? He forgives all your iniquity. So the first thing, chief on the list, forgiveness. That we literally, right, what God has done in and by his son's finished work, that God, instead of aiming the arrow of his justice toward us and giving us what we deserve, put his son in our place where he suffered and died, bearing the full weight of our sin in our place, right? uttering these words, it is finished. Everything, everything that needs to be done in order for your, for your, your sins to be just eradicated and the righteousness that's required to have a relationship with God freely given in and through the finished work of his son, Jesus. Freely given as a gift to us, right? And in that is an exchange. Our sin, our folly, our shame, right, is laid on Christ and the righteousness of the son the love that the Son has received, rightfully so, from the Father, given to us freely. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. And in this forgiveness, God has literally exchanged our folly for his forgiveness, our rebellion for his righteousness. This is the gospel. And David had no idea, right, the fruition of this that would come in Christ, but he's tipping his hat to it here. 
He had no idea how this was going to show itself in later times in, in, in God's son Jesus. But he knew forgiveness. Next, he heals all your diseases. Anybody in here been healed? I have. In small ways. Some of us in big ways. Right? But God literally, <clears throat> not just these matters of the soul, but God cares for us holistically. Right? Heart, mind, body, soul, fully. Right? He wants us to, to be a people that is whole. But in that, we know that sometimes suffering like dark nights of the soul from 2010 to 2012 are, are necessary, right? For us to just kind of start listening to him, to get our attention, right? And God is, was good in my, right, my season of darkness, but it was just necessary. C.S. Lewis said one time that pain and suffering is like God's megaphone. It's like God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I know that we experience, right, growth in good times, but man, there's nothing like a trial. There's nothing like a hardship where God just grabs his megaphone and just speaks into the places of the heart that without that hardship, without that difficulty, right? He couldn't speak that thing. He just chooses to do it. So if anyone's walking around here with a limp or a scar, right? Like, like maybe like physically a limp or like physically a scar or maybe figuratively speaking, and you can just raise your hand and still praise God, knowing that he was good in that and taught you something, right? That's our good God. But we know that he heals our diseases, and we trust him for the moments where he's seemingly not listening to us. We trust him in the moments where maybe we're not seeing that healing, knowing that he has a good and perfect reason for that. And we know, too, one day Jesus is going to come back. We're going to see him. We're going to be just like he is. And he's ultimately going to heal all of our diseases wipe this world clean of all iniquity, all sin. We're going to experience him, right? Heaven's going to come down and meet earth, right? And we're going to be with him forever. He's going to make all things new. So whether it be you experience that now, you're trusting him in hardship, knowing that there's a greater work that he's doing, or you're looking forward to a day when that's all going to be done away with and he makes all things new. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from a pit. He redeems you. He buys you back. He pulls you out of a pit, listen to me, of a pit that you've dug for yourself and others have helped you dig, okay? He redeems you from a pit that you've dug yourself and others have helped you dig. Because really in all of our lives, we're all rebels, we're all victims to a degree. And sometimes we need to experience sin and God's grace in the midst of things we've done, but also things that have been done to us. And we need to believe his goodness and his grace and his promises in the light of that. He redeems us from this pit. He brings us out of that, of just of the muck and the mire, of just, right, like thinking that somehow our sins are more sovereign than his grace. Thinking that somehow our sins trump God's son. No, no, no. Jesus won, <laughs> right? Sin didn't win. Like he got up and walked out of a tomb. And so as we're in this place of spiritual depression and just all kind of gloomy and depressed over the things that have been done to us or the things that we've done, what do we do subtly in that is we make our sins more sovereign than his son. We make our sins more powerful than his son, right? But that's not the truth, is it, Mercy Hill? No, nah, it's, it's the other way around. So he redeems us. He pulls us out of this pit. He redeems our lives Right, Colossians 1 transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
Check this out. He crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Now, if you're not like a Lord of the Rings geek or you're not into like, you know, like eighth century like stories and movies and stuff like that, you're not into like the whole crown thing. Crown, think about this idea of a crown with me. It's not really something like you don't see like, I get like pork pie hats, hipster stuff. No one's walking around with crowns, right, today. What if that was like the new thing? Like, check out my crown. Isn't it cool? Um, crown has this idea of identity. It, 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 points to, it points to status, identity. When you see someone with a crown, they're royalty, they're set apart, they belong to something special, something, something bigger, something greater than common people. And so when David says that God crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, literally the crown is that we are objects of his mercy, steadfast love and grace, and that is our identity. That is our status, that we're literally crowned, set apart. Our identity, our status is this, objects of his love, objects of his covenant love, covenant love. So think about that. David's reminding himself of who he is. I'm forgiven, fully, holy. God has has healed me. He's done good things in my life. He's done good things in other people's lives. I've seen it. He's redeemed my life from a pit. He's rescued me. He's given me now a new identity. I'm crowned. Literally, right? Think about for David. He literally was a king, right? And for him, what's the chief crown in his life? What's a crown that means even more than that? that I'm crowned with steadfast love and mercy, that I'm an object of his love. This is my identity. This is my status. This is my ticket, so to speak, right? So think about that. I just, that just came to my mind, that for someone who's experienced a for real deal crown, is like, no, no, no. This is the crown. This is the, the, the best crown, the chief crown, that I'm an object, that I'm a child, that I'm a son, of his steadfast love and his mercy. So literally, this is our identity. We're objects of this covenant love. We're objects of this mercy. Um, I preached at a friend's church in Iowa last week, and I had a young man came up to me. He's weeping. And I just, my message was on Peter. And at the beginning, when Jesus meets Peter, he teaches him a lesson. And if you look back, right on the shore, right when they catch 153 fish in John's gospel, comes back, it's the whole, like, feed my sheep, Peter, right? It's just, if you look at it, it's the very same lesson he taught him when he first met him. The very same one. And I said, let's just look at God's grace and patience with us. Over three years, right? And Jesus is just content to just teach Peter the same thing he taught him when he first met him. We just think about this, the patience of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. And this kid's crying. And he goes, man, I was just at a place where I just thought God was just sick of loving me and sick of forgiving me and sick of showing me mercy. And I just squared that brother up, and I said, man, listen. The Bible says that God is rich in mercy. You know what that means, bro? It means he has a ton of it, a ton of it, and it never runs out. It never runs dry, and you can never exhaust it. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Now, let's go down to the more common things. He satisfies you with good Right, so we go all the way to forgiveness to food and drink, right? And Netflix binging 
and all the good things in our lives that just make us laugh, right? And all the good things that just good friends around a table, right? Food, drink, a simple thing like dumb memes that we send to our friends and they send to us that makes us laugh, right? All these just good, common things in our lives that just satisfy our youth. I think about that, like, man, I just ate the most amazing lasagna and meatballs when I just visited a friend this past week, right? Man, after that, I was just like, oh my gosh, that was amazing, right? Like that bread with like the balsamic and the oil and the Parmesan. Dude, after that meal, I was just satisfied. My youth was renewed like the eagle. I couldn't fly like an eagle at all. I was like, no, I need to lay down. But I would know my gosh, right? David's going down to even the most common things now. Sometimes we can be so up here, right? And yes, forgiveness and identity and all that stuff. But just think about this. Every good gift is from our Father from above, yeah? Amen? And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, yeah, whether you eat or drink, we do all to the what? The glory of God. Now, we have a bunch of people around us that think that food, drink, paychecks, jobs, Netflix binging, and all these things are the best thing in this life. They think it's the most ultimate thing. But for us... Who knows like where these things come from, right? We know that, no, these good things come from somewhere else, someone else, and they ultimately point to him. That they're good, but they're not ultimate. They're good, but they're not ultimate, right? If we can enjoy them while we're here, that we can experience joy in the land of the living, right? That we can experience these good things, that we can raise a glass and say, this is amazing to God's glory. Like we can raise a glass or a cup, right, of small town coffee, Right? And be like, mmm, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? This is what's up. Yeah, that was for you, Elizabeth. Right? None of this corporate junk. Like, we want the good stuff, right? That, like, someone from our church roasted and brewed, right? That's what we're talking about. Okay? He satisfies us with good. But we. But we're not so foolish as to think that these things are gods or ultimate things in and of themselves. No, they point to someone else. Our hearts are then drawn somewhere else. I don't want to offend anybody in here, but uh, I'm, I might. Um, Martin Luther used to raise a glass of ale, beer. You know what he used to say right before he drank? He said, good creature, good creature. You know what he means by that? This is a created thing, not the creator. And I'll enjoy it as a created thing to God's glory. Amen? If you guys are offended by that, you can talk to Pastor John afterwards. <laughs> because I'm skipping out of here after. <laughs> um, okay, so now verse six. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. It took me a while to see that in the scriptures, I was like, why are people rejoicing and talking about God's justice, right? And his judgment as if it's a good thing. Uh, because I look at myself and I'm like, Bro, like, I don't want, that is not a good thing, Right? Like Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Like in Christ, I do not have to experience God's condemnation, wrath, or judgment. But think about this. For people who are oppressed, God's justice is a good thing. It's good news. It's good news that even though you might not have a voice, even though uh, right now, like, there's nothing you can do about your situation, and maybe people around you are maybe oppressing, or there is no justice, and we look and see the gaps in this world, that God, this is your character. We know the new heavens and the new earth are going to look like this, but this looks like this now, and this is not right. That one day, right, God's going to come and open up a can on this world, 
He's going to put his enemies under his feet as a footstool, right? And he's going to make all things right and good, right? He's going to bring this kind of justice into the world. And as someone who really hasn't really experienced much oppression or anything, you don't really get that, right? But for those who do, like, God's justice is good news, right? God's just acting on others' behalf who don't have a voice and don't have the power to do anything about their own situation. That's good news, right? Now, we hold on to that with a little bit of humility, knowing that if God's justice fully came to all of us, that's not good, right? Because no, like we hold on to that with a little bit of humility, knowing that, man, I love and appreciate grace too. And that, I think, allows us even to extend grace and to pray for even our enemies, knowing that it's good if he comes back, it's good if this justice happens, but man, I know what that ultimately means. And even though this person's harmed me or hurt me and I want justice here, I'd really love to see them come worship Jesus. That would be even better, right? Amen? So we hold that with a little bit of humility there. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. David's reminding himself historically of things that God has done, but I think ultimately what he's reminding himself here is that God is not only a God who exists, but speaks and acts and works. He might be reminding himself that God's not distant and deaf to his situation. Maybe he's thinking, God, where are you? Are you going to even act in my life? Are you even going to come and show up? I'm in a bad place. I'm depressed. I'm not seeing your hand. I'm not seeing you move at all. And I think he's reminding himself, no, God is a God who's alive, who's well, who's working, even if I don't see him, because he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. I know he's a God who acts. I know he's a God who's active. Even though I don't see it right now, I'm going to trust and rest. Bless the Lord, O my soul, because God is the one who makes his ways known and acts on our behalf. So if you're here and you're like, God, where are you? I've been praying about this. I'm seeing no movement whatsoever. You need to just remind yourself that God is a God who's alive, who acts. And even though you might not know the reason for him acting on your behalf right now, and you might not know the reason, right, of why he might be silent or not doing this thing or doing the thing you want him to do, that doesn't mean he doesn't have a reason, right? So don't take your reason and place it above God's, right? We need to just rest and trust in those things. Here we go. Now we're getting into the meat. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Is there more of just a gracious phrase? Right? He is slow to anger towards you. He is slow to anger towards me. Meaning he's not like me sometimes with my kids when I just lash out in anger. No, God's anger is something that just he builds, he's patient, he's slow to it, he's slow to it, slow to anger, and he abounds. This is what I shared with that young man who came to me who was just discouraged. I said, I said bro, God is rich in mercy. He abounds in steadfast love. You guys know that steadfast love there, right? said, the Hebrew word, it's covenant love. It's covenant love. It's, um, if you look in the New Testament, it's not so much that we sparked a deal with God, like, hey, we'll hold up this end of the deal, and then you hold up this end. How, how good did that work out in the Old Testament, guys, right? No, and God knew, knows this. And so what he did is he took all the terms of this agreement upon himself, 
and did everything, right, to finalize the deal, signed it himself in the blood of Jesus and enters into covenant with broken, foolish people. And this covenant is based solely on the finished work of Jesus and its bedrock is grace. Amen? Amen. No conditions on our end, right? Because that would be a string attached. That would be a hint of works, wouldn't it? Now, does this covenant produce good things in our hearts and our lives? Amen. But it's not based on our efforts. It's based on the efforts solely of Christ. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. He won't keep his anger forever. Listen to this. He does not deal with us according to our sins. It's not the terms of the relationship. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Some of us have this mindset of the Christian life that God ebbs and flows as you ebb and flow. That God's love and compassion and involvement of your life goes up and down as you go up and down. You know what that is? That's karma. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not it is finished. That's not I crown you with steadfast love and mercy. That's performance-based, up and down, works-based, like nonsense, really. And I know sometimes when I was a new believer, I'd get a flat tire and I'm like, oh man, God gave me a flat tire because I did that thing last week. Right? I'm like, oh gosh, God, what are you punishing me for? Right? No, no, that's not how it goes. Now, God might have been teaching me something in his love as a good father and a flat tire, but he's not punishing me for my sins that I did last week. It's not the terms of the agreement. It's not the terms of the covenant. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Can I get an amen on that, right? I mean, who's like, that is amazing news. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquity. Now think about this. See the two words there, sins and iniquities? Sins are like specific sins, like specific things that we do, right? That just violate God's like commandments. Transgression would be another word. Do you know what iniquity means? Iniquity points to the inner inherent brokenness in our hearts from which those sins flow. Iniquity points to just, when you know how we talk about like we're broken or we're sinners, that there's something inherent about us that's just broken, right? We're made new, but not totally new. And there's something in us that's just broken and twisted. And, and even sometimes good things that God will let us do, sometimes we start to pat ourselves on the back, a little pride will come in, right? Something that's just there, just a little twisted, a little broken. Notice this. It says that he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I'm not going to repay you or deal with you according to your inherent brokenness that you can't do anything to fix right now, that only is going to be fixed when I come back, nor will I deal with you according to the specific ways in which that twisted heart shows itself. How awesome is that? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. To those who fear him, that's not conditional that is the fruit of knowing this. The fruit of knowing this. Right? The fruit. As far as you can go from where I'm standing right now to up wherever the heavens are, wherever that is, okay? Right? And we know, like, there's, like, galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies. Like, we just discovered a new galaxy. Okay. Right? Here's what we know. It's high, right? Like, I'm not, like, I don't, I'm not a smart person. I was just let you know. So I don't have like these cool like numbers of how high this is to this galaxy and how long it would take there and how many years. Just know like it's high. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my steadfast love towards you. That is high. It's like it's 
That's how great it is. It reminds me of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 4. You don't have to turn there. Maybe you can make a note. I've always loved this. Um, in Ephesians 4, or 3 rather, um, 18, Paul prays for the, the church of Ephesus, and he says, May you have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It could be that Paul's kind of like drawing on some of this imagery of the Psalms. Like God's love is like, it has this breadth, and it has this depth, and it has this length, and it has this height. Like it's something you can't even get your hands around this thing. In fact, you need strength from God to even comprehend it. In fact, just having a knowledge of it isn't good enough because Paul prays, may you know this love beyond just mere knowledge. And what he means is, may you know it experientially. May you know it with tears flowing down your eyes and down your cheeks, right? As you experience the love of God in the midst of trial, in the midst of failure, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of besetting sins, Know and experience this love. He, Paul's not talking about passing the test. Does God love me? True. Does the Bible tell me so? True, right? Like, we're not talking about that. We're talking about tears down the eyes, down the cheeks. Not down the eyes, from the eyes, down the cheeks. That's what I'm saying. Can we edit that in the thing? We can? Okay. Well, I'll email you later this week. We'll do a voiceover. Can we do that? No? You do voiceovers here or anything? Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. Right? So he goes up and down. Now he goes this, east to west. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as you can go, which way is east? That's west, right? No? Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> as far as you can go that way and as far as you can go that way, so far does he remove us from uh, an association or an identity of our sin. I am literally not having a flat earth discussion with anybody in here today based on this passage. Do you hear me? We will have zero flat earth conversations today. All right? Just know you're going to get shut down if you come talk to me about that. I don't have a horse in the race. I just don't want to talk about it. All right? What he means is as far as you can go that way and as far as you can go that way, so far does God remove an association between you and your sin. This way. Yep. Amen. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He has compassion for us, guys. Like when I see my three-year-old dump a whole tub of glitter on the table and just spread it everywhere, right? Like, you know from weddings here, you can't get glitter out of chairs, man. Like, this stuff is everywhere. And you look and you're just like, girl, you're three. I just have compassion on you because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know how much of a pain glitter is. You just think it's cute. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Listen to this. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. He just has this compassion on us because he knows we're frail. He knows we're foolish. He knows we came from dust. He knows we're broken. He knows we're twisted. And instead of just getting all huffy and puffy and angry at every single thing, he showed his ultimate love to us in the Son. And in that covenant love, in that promise, he has compassion on us. 
if you're thinking like, man, what is God's heart to me? If you're thinking like, what does God think about me? In Christ, he is a compassionate, patient, merciful, loving father. And if you've ever had an ounce as a parent of compassion and mercy to a child who's just young and knows no better, if you've ever had a pure moment of just compassion, love, that is how God sees us. Times like a thousand, but it's perfect. You know what I'm saying? He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. So all this talk about how amazing God is, and part of David's really jumpstart in his heart is remembering who he is. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it, it's gone, and its place knows it no more. It's just like it's, I mean, and we get this in northwest Indiana. Summer comes and it goes, right? This flower, this grass, it's had a, had a cool like three-month run, but it's gone. Its place knows it no more. That's who we are, right? We're, we're from dust. We're just we're frail. 17, but even though we're that frail, even though we're that temporal, it's like you couldn't, you couldn't get a more perfect contrast here. We, here I'm going to show you how temporal we are, but let me show you how eternal and amazing God is. You're like grass, which passes away and its place knows it no more after a short season. Verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And we come to find out that God's love toward us in Jesus didn't begin at the cross. It didn't begin when we began in Christ. It didn't begin when we first placed faith. It began in eternity past. That God has been a God who knew what he was going to do, he was going to make a people, and he has forever loved us. Forever. Isn't that awesome? So if you're like, if you're thinking like to yourself, like, in this moment, right, like you're depressed or you're discouraged, or you're battling something or whatever, and you're wondering, like, man, does God love me right now? Well, seeing that his love is from everlasting to everlasting, I would say that probably in some random moment in the middle of 2017 in the month of September, probably loves you then too, right? Amen? Steadfast love of the Lord from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Again, not a condition. It's a fruit. It's a fruit of the covenant. It's a fruit of his love. It's a fruit of his involvement in our lives. Our obedience, our worship, everything that we just, it, it, it's, it's right, Corey? Worship is a response, right? It's something we receive love. This arrow comes down. His love is a one-way arrow coming at us. It's not a two-way thing. It comes at us regardless. When Christ died for us, when we were what? Still sinners. Not while we were getting our act together. Not while we were in the middle of memorizing our first verse. Not when we bought our first Bible. Not when we first shook hands at the door and volunteered at church. He's, he demonstrated his love toward us while we were still jacked, broken, and foolish. Right? So his love toward us is not based on anything in us. It's just who he is. However, this love, this grace... This compassion, this mercy, it does something to the heart. It does something to us. It breaks us down. It, it makes us respond in love. It makes us respond in obedience. And now we want him. 
Right now we want to pursue him. Now we want to tell others about him. Now we want the, his good things. We want to follow him and love him and obey him and do what he says. Because he's our dad and he just knows best. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. David has gone now to just his individual aspects of God's love in his life. So now he's just a king. His, th- his, heavens, his throne's in the heavens. It is established. It rules over all. He is supreme. He is matchless. He is sovereign. David's building up now, right? He's going from his own soul personally, right? So now it's like covenant to like multiple people, right? He reminds himself of who he is. Now he's just building up to like God's thrones in the heavens. It's established. It rules over all. He's supreme, matchless, sovereign. Now he goes on to other people. Seeing this now, that God is like this, and he's just, he's set apart, and he's so high, and he's so amazing, and yet this God loves me and involves himself in my life and involves himself into the details of who I am. He says, bless the Lord, O you as angels. Now he goes, angels, y'all worship God too, right? You guys bless him, right? Bless the Lord, all his hosts, all his ministers who do his will. Now this, bless the Lord, all his works, Trees, oceans, mountains, all his works, everything from his hand. Bless him. And then David finally gets back full circle to himself. Last words are what? Where he started. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David started hoping, hoping he would get where he's at, where the psalm ends. And somehow in the writing of the psalm, somehow in the remembrance of who he is, what he's done, how he loves us, right? His compassion, his mercy, his covenants, all these benefits, his forgiveness, right? The good things he gives us every single day. Somehow in the writing of the psalm, reminding himself of all these things, reminding himself of who he is, that he's frail, he's like grass, he's temporal, but God is, God is eternal, that he's loved us in eternity past and will do so to the end of time. Like that's not even a thing, time doesn't end, but you guys get what I'm saying? I never said I was a theologian up here, okay? I'm not here to parse words. He reminds himself of all these things. Then he goes grand. He goes, oh man, God's throne's established and, and angels bless him and works bless him and ministers and everyone finally ends up after rehearsing all these things, dragging himself, pulling himself by the hand and, and placing himself in front of this letter to just remind himself of who God is. At the end, he writes, bless the Lord, O my soul, and his heart is there. He's there, right? You just see the crescendo of this letter, of this psalm. Finally, after just looking at who he is and his blessing, his heart is there, and he's encouraged, and he's motivated to worship and love and follow and rejoice and just be blessed. His heart to be blessed, truly happy in the Lord. And I, I hope, and I'm hopeful that God the Spirit just applied Psalm 103 to your hearts this morning, like he has mine, right? And that your heart, as you sit here, is just happy in the Lord because he is this way toward us. Why? We have no idea. He just is. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. All we can do as people who have received gifts, as people who have not earned anything when it comes to you, people who have just received from your hand, 
And at best, anything good in our lives was just something from the spirit that you produce and a response to your love. As we've just received from you, the only appropriate response is just gratitude, thankfulness, appreciation, worship, and response. And God, I pray that our hearts would be happy in the Lord this morning, that we would carry this, this happiness. God, I pray that even in Psalm 103, that we would, would, would find tools, just a simple little tool, a simple little thing to do when our hearts are just discouraged, that we would grab ourselves by the proverbial hand, bring ourselves right back to the promises and, and the person of Jesus, the character of God, the promises of God, and just remind ourselves, our hearts that are so dull, so easy to forget who you are, so easy to forget this reckless, this, this scandalous grace by which you love us and be encouraged there. God, I pray that you'd bear fruit in our lives and that we would love God and love people as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.